were weak, flawed people whom God used in spite of those weaknesses and those flaws. If you only knew Christians who lived around you, normal people going through different kinds of struggles and joys, you would get to see them at work, at school, at play. You would see them frustrated, sick, unhappy, grieving, maybe complaining. And you would get to see them celebrating, thankful, and relieved. So we have all of these blessings of modern communication and modern media. And we enjoy all of this stuff, but it exposes our hearts to all kinds of different perspectives and to other people, and quickly our hearts get overwhelmed. And I'm certainly not suggesting this is all bad. I'm, I'm really, really thankful for the books and the resources and the people that I get to know. I get to keep in touch with people who live in California in a way that I wouldn't have been able to 25 or 30 years ago. But on the other hand, Christian biographies tend to tell you the best about that person. Ministry websites tend to tell us the best things about a ministry. Facebook, Instagrams, blogs, they give people a chance to literally Photoshop their lives so that, that you can see only what they want you to see. And they can take out the scars and they can take out the warts. And in the end, their kids always look happy and healthy and they have this cozy, quiet time spot, and their relationships are so easy, and in the midst of it, they're serving God with so much joy and peace and contentment. So the scriptures, as I said earlier, contain things like this. Abraham lied about his wife and slept with Hagar. David committed adultery and then murder. Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal and then promptly ran away out of fear of Jezebel. Jonah received a calling from God and headed the opposite direction from where he was supposed to go. Here's an interesting one. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but Jesus calls John the Baptist the greatest man ever born of women. And in Matthew chapter 11, right before that, John sends messengers from prison to ask Jesus, are you really the one? Like, I'm stuck here in prison. Are you really the one who's been promised? So even John the Baptist, the greatest man who's ever been born among women, had to, had, to, had to fight doubts about, is Jesus who he really says he is? Peter famously denied Christ, and later, even when he should have known better, is confronted by Paul for refusing to eat with the Gentiles. And so here's the thing. When I set my eyes on people and their platforms of self-promotion and the things that they want me to know about them, I get discouraged. I don't know about you guys, but I get discouraged. And, and if I'm honest, I even sometimes border on like jealousy and discontentment. Because yes, God has given me things that are good and I'm thankful for those things, but my life is hard. And I have a tendency to make a mess of it. And so there's this industry of sort of like your best life now, Christianity, and it's books and blogs and podcasts. And they make us feel like the life we're living with Christ and maybe even the church we attend doesn't quite measure up. And I think Satan is having a field day with this stuff, with discontentment and anxiety and discouragement among the saints. And I would say, forgive me, but especially among women, 
because we get fixated on someone else and what they're projecting on a screen or writing on a page or talking about, and we become discontent. And so for weeks now, Paul has sort of been like a shark circling regarding these Christian boasters who have come into the church. And he's, he's about to make this condemnation of Christian boasting. He's calling out the malicious gossip and the faults of apostles. And, and they've affiliated, infiltrated the church. And they've wreaked havoc on the church's relationship with Paul and on the church's relationship with each other. And at some point, the, the church has been taken in by these very impressive people with their impressive speech and their letters of recommendation talking about all the great things that they've done, these men do not proclaim Christ. Remember a couple of weeks ago we looked at, we proclaim Christ. They don't proclaim Christ. They proclaim themselves. And by comparison, Paul's ministry is unimpressive. His speech, his appearance, his manner of life, they don't measure up. Paul's missionaries' journeys would not have made a good video presentation because most of the video was lost in all the shipwrecks. Or was taken away when he went to jail. So today we're finally going to get to Paul's response, which he's been promising ever since the beginning of chapter 10. And he starts off this way, 2 Corinthians 11.1. 1, I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me. And he hates what he's about to do because he hates boasting. And here's a confession for you this morning. So over the last couple of weeks, I've been... I've been anticipating this passage, and, and I haven't made a secret about the fact that my, my study of 2 Corinthians in, in 10 and 11 has been difficult. And I have been thinking this whole time, how am I going to make another passage about boasting and Paul and his attackers relevant? Because, I, frankly, I don't, I don't think that we have a large contingent of like spiritual boasters in our church. Unless some of you guys are like running websites I don't know about. Uh, that's not what I think, you know, one of our biggest needs is in here. And then it hit me. This passage isn't just about calling out the boasters. It's about the effects that the boasters are having on the body. And I believe that there are many in the church today who are hurt by those who are boasting publicly about their spiritual life and their ministry. And we're being taken in by these public displays of success and spirituality. And it's harming our relationships. It's harming our relationship with God, and it's harming our relationship with each other. And I would even say it's harming how we think of ourselves in light of God and in light of other people. And so the spiritual boasting is a tragedy, and those who boast need to repent. But if you've at all been taken in by this culture of self-promotion and, and self-proclamation, and, and I, I'll admit, I am taken in at times, we may need to repent of that as well. Because not only do we proclaim Christ, but we look to Him. And we're yeah. never commanded to compare ourselves with other Christians. We're told to seek after Christ. And so I hope that as we come here this week, in this next long passage of Paul's defense that you and I, I'm already a little bit there because I've been living here, but that you will find hope in the midst of your normal life. And if your life is like mine, I don't want most of my life proclaimed on social media. There's a, if I, I, there's a lot I wouldn't want out there. So I'll tell you where the key to this section is, and it's going to come next week, and we're not going all the way there, so don't worry. But in 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul is going to sum it all up. You can look over there on the next page if you want. When he says, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. 
For when I am weak, I then I am strong. And as we said a few weeks ago, Paul is answering a fool according to his folly. He says, fine, if I must, I must. I will boast. Here I go. Because in his weakness, Christ is glorified, and he's going to boast about his weakness. So I'm going to take a pretty large chunk. We're going to go all the way down to the end of the chapter in verse 33 this morning. Three things I want you to be on the lookout for, and I'll kind of highlight these things as we go along. First of all, Paul's absolute disdain for Christian boasting. He hates it. The dangers of being taken in by these professional boasters, and I think once you see it, you're going to be like, yeah, that's, that's pretty bad. And then understanding and resting in our weakness. Okay, so let's read this, this long passage. Let me read it for you, and then we will go through it. Verse 16, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I may boast just a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you and devours you and takes advantage of you and puts on airs and strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we are too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, Danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. All right, so let's see what the Lord has to teach us. And I'm, I'm excited about it. I think, I think you're going to be blessed by this. All right, so first of all, Paul says in these first six verses, who's the fool? Who's the fool here? That's his first question. Who is the fool? And I'm sure he's spent many hours wrestling. How do I respond to this? And so even as he gets ready to make his, his, his defense, he's got three more disclaimers. He just he can't stop making disclaimers. He hates boasting so much. He's just like, i got to keep saying these disclaimers. So first of all, he says, just so you know, this is not a WWJD moment. All right, This is not a what would Jesus do because Jesus wouldn't do this. All right, just, I just want to make that clear. He says, what I'm saying in verse uh, 17, what I'm saying with the, this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. So Paul's practice was to follow Christ's example, and this was not following Christ's example. And I think Jesus commands his servants to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And I think sometimes in wisdom, we never should sin. 
But sometimes wisdom calls on us to do things, to answer an opponent. And so Paul, in this case, says, fine, I'll boast. But I just want you to know, Jesus wouldn't do this. All right. Secondly, boasting is a fruit of the flesh, not a fruit of the Spirit. Verse 18, since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. Just so you know, this doesn't originate with the Spirit. This is the kind of thing that originates from the flesh, okay? The Holy Spirit, which we have living inside of us, leads us to exalt Jesus. Therefore, if I'm boasting about me, I'm not following the Spirit. I'm following the flesh. And that's a constant theme for Paul. We've seen it throughout the, the, the letter. He is a clay vessel. He is a common vessel. He is weak. And anything that good that happens that comes through him is the Holy Spirit working through that vessel. Number three, spiritual boasters don't love Christ, and they don't love their neighbor. Like, just understand, people who do this, let me, let me tell you about people who do this. Look at verses 20 and 21. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. This is, this is a really interesting verse, because Paul is actually chastising the Corinthians for letting the false apostles treat them badly. They were being taken in by these spiritual boasters, and they were being abused by them. Those men don't love you. How do I know? Because they treat you badly. Listen to the words that he uses here. They enslave you. Rather than leading you to freedom in Christ, these spiritual boasters are leading you to enslavement. They devour you. This is the same word that Jesus uses in Mark chapter 12 at the end of the chapter when he says about the Pharisees, they devour widows' houses. And he's condemning them. It, it, literally, it's they eat you out of house and home. They come and they take everything you have because that's what they want. That's all they want. They don't love you. They only want what you can provide. They're takers. They take advantage of you. They bring you under their power. They put on airs. They're really working that one a little bit. It basically means they exalt themselves over you. They minimize you. They, they, they talk uh, in a haughty way over you. And then finally, shockingly, they strike you in the face. Literally, it means they hit you. And apparently this was something that happened in that day. Uh, and we see this. We see this once with Paul. Uh, we see it once with Jesus, I should say. Jesus uh, speaks something in his trial, if you remember, and one of the men walks up and hits Jesus. Another time, Paul says something, and they walk up and they hit him. So apparently, in this environment, it was common that if you said something somebody didn't like, they would walk up and punch you in the face. All right? So Paul is like, these false teachers, they, they strike you in the face when you speak in a way that they don't appreciate. So yes, spiritual boasting is wicked. But Paul is calling out the Corinthians for allowing these false prophets and apostles to have this much control over them. And so rather than being controlled by Christ, they are being controlled by these boasters who do not have their best interests at heart. There is something in us, and it, I think it must be something like related to the fall. Like we as you know, human beings, we want to be impressed by impressive people. And I, and I think it's some, to some extent that's a good motive. Everybody, everybody likes to know impressive people. Everybody likes to name drop. And the vast majority of us, 
We'll never be famous. We'll never be like super impressive famous people. But sometimes you like to just kind of get close to it. You know, it's like if I can just get a little, if I can get a ray of that fame on me, I feel like I'm caught up in all that impressiveness. What's interesting about that in light of this passage is in Christian circles, in our churches, I think we have the, the same mentality. So if we can get close to some impressive minister or some, some famous person within the church, we are willing to be abused by that person, and we are willing for them to take advantage of us in order for us to continue to say that we're connected with them and that we know them. We're drawn to these influencers. We are not drawn to Christ. So Paul is asking, who's the fool here? You are so impressed with these people who are obviously taking advantage of you. And they're committed to proclaiming their own excellencies. They don't care about you. They take advantage of you. They devour you. They only need you as long as they con you contribute to their success, and then they drop you. And he says in verse 21, very sarcastically, to my shame, I must say, we are too weak for that. I guess we're too weak. We don't take advantage of you. We love you. They devour you, and you like them better. Brothers and sisters, spiritual boasting ruins the church because it destroys those who boast and it destroys those who follow them. And just right here at this point, rather than like waiting to the end, I want to apply this. and I want to make two applications right now because I really think this is very important. And I think that this is something that we need to hear. First of all, the church needs to repent of Christian boasting. Okay. So first of all, regarding those who boast, it is a spiritual tragedy and its root is in churches and families and the lives of individual Christians. And if we're going to be committed to proclaiming Christ, then we have to stop talking about ourselves. And we don't need to advertise as churches by talking about all of our accomplishments, by talking about baptisms and bank accounts and bottoms and seats. We need to be done listing the great things that we've done on church mission trips. Because it really does amount to spiritual bragging. And it's been a problem in the church for 2,000 years. The best billboard for Hope Bible Church is the transformed lives of us out there living Monday through Sunday in front of people, the people who know us best, who see us the most. And if we are simply doers of the word, servants of Christ, then they will see that. And, and, and they will understand who it is that we are trying to serve. Paul stated clearly in the first letter of Corinthians. He says, this is 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Paul, uh, Matt was talking about uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 last week. You know, the, the famous part. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God. That's the one we all know. But why have you been saved? So that you might... Do good works which were prepared beforehand so that you might work, walk in them. Clearly, any good works that we do have been given to us by Christ so that we can do them. So we don't even get to boast about that. Whatever we have has been given to us so we are fools for boasting. And Jesus alone deserves the glory. The sin of Satan was that he was a glory snatcher. Jesus was exalted because he was not even willing to accept the glory that was due to him. God hates boasting, Paul hates boasting, and so should we. And our, any impulse that we have to talk about ourselves, individually or collectively, is rooted in the flesh. 
So, like I said, I don't suspect that that's most of your problems. I'm gonna do a, I'm gonna search everybody's name and see what kind of you know blogs and podcasts you got going on out there, but I don't think that's it. I suspect that what we struggle with in this room more is that we may be in bondage to the spiritual boasting of others and that we need to repent of that as well. Paul says these boasters enslave you. They often do that by laying extra burdens on their hearers. Don't be so taken with somebody else's ministry that you are discontent with yours. Don't let anybody enslave you to their version of the perfect Christian life. Don't feel like you need to join in the boasting. The New Testament couldn't be clearer, y'all. The, the act of following Christ is not a burden. It's not a burden. We come to Christ with our burdens. In Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim gets saved and he loses the burden. The burden is removed from his back. So when you're listening to someone and what they're saying feels more like a burden than a joy, ask yourself, is this a command that's coming from Christ through the word, or is this just someone telling me what has made their life better? And I think this is important, and I, I think it's especially important for you ladies, because I do believe that a lot of women are being taken in by this kind of media by women and ministries that seem like they have it all together. And they can like raise kids and write a book and keep the house and read the Bible and host a ladies' tea for 45 people and knit something for some orphans and, 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 and glorify God in the process. And the truth is, you probably can't do all of that. So please, let's stop letting ourselves be enslaved by the boasters. Christ has called us to freedom. If the Son has made you free, you shall be free indeed. Don't go back. Follow Christ and be thankful for what he has given you. Secondly, don't be taken in by Christian triumphalism. So Christian triumphalism, you may not have heard that, but it's, it's a phrase these days. Christian triumphalism looks at things promised to us at the return of Christ and then tries to claim them now. So not only things like financial prosperity and physical health, but also freedom from persecution and difficulty and all the things that would be described as the groaning of creation that awaits the return of Christ in Romans chapter 8. So Christian triumphalism, I think, weaves together nicely with the Christian boasting because Christians who have health and prosperity and well-being boast about it and give the impression that all other Christians should be able to live like that too. I conquered this sin, and so can you. I got out of debt by following these biblical principles, and if you just follow these biblical principles, you too will conquer debt. My kids are well-behaved, smart, and athletic, and if you read this book, yours will be too. My wife and I start fighting. You can too. It goes on and on. And it's rooted in this self-help industry that dominates our culture. And it's toxic. And it's bad for the boasters because they're proclaiming themselves. And it's bad for those who are listening to them because they feel like second-class Christians when things don't turn out the same way. Do you remember this passage from uh, chapter 4? But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Hopeful? Yes. 
triumphant? No. Paul is still in the battle. Don't let anybody tell you the battle is over. There's a praise song out there, a worship song. And the chorus of it, it sounds really good, but the chorus of it is, you sing it over and over again, the kingdom has come and the battle is over. I can't bring myself to sing that when I'm somewhere because it's not true. It's not biblical. We are in the thick of it. And if I understand the New Testament correctly, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Right. The kingdom has not come. The battle is not over. So it's been an intense couple of months in the Cleland household. Starting school, hurricane, some of the physical needs we have in our house, homework. And it all starts to be overwhelming. And if you came to my house on an evening, like say between dinner and bedtime, right around the time everybody's starting to get their showers, you would not think that the battle is over. <laughs> and I know that God will never leave me nor forsake me. And I, I've said this to Erica lately, like I, I know that one day I'm going to look back and I'm going to be like, see, his arms were carrying me the whole way. But if I'm honest, there are some times when I'm like, where, where exactly are those arms? And life is difficult. And I know I have it a lot better than many. And if I listen to the people who want to tell me that the battle is over, I get really discouraged. I will wager that I have read more books on Christian parenting than anybody else in this room. And I've been helped by a ton of them. But sometimes I think if the Trip Brothers came to my house, they also would be absolutely perplexed about what to do. So the Bible has not promised us freedom from difficulty in Christ. In fact, it tells us that there will be more difficulty when we come to Christ. It's a call to come and die. Ultimately, the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ does bring us the peace that passes understanding, but it brings us that peace in the midst of the trials, and it doesn't remove the trials. And I want you to be encouraged this morning. I want you to be free. Because if your life is hard, it doesn't mean you're a second-class Christian. In fact, if you're making choices to follow Christ and it's resulting in trials, James says you should rejoice because your faith is actually being strengthened through this. And, and we look around and we, we see other people's successes and we think that we are failures. And if you think you're a failure, wait till you see Paul. All right? So that brings us to Paul's resume. All right? So here it is. He's made it. He's finally made it. Okay, I'll boast, I'll boast, all these disclaimers, I'm a fool. After a chapter and a half, he finally gets to it. Pastoral resumes are a really weird deal. Uh, I've put a couple together. When a church looks for a pastor, you know, they want to know, like, where has he been trained, and what's he accomplished, and how successful has he been. And Paul could have rolled out those qualifications. He had some serious qualifications. He had planted churches all over the Mediterranean, which is cool led countless souls to Christ. He trained pastors. He trained missionaries. And this is the kicker. He could do miracles. So that's really cool. He could have rolled all of that out. That's not what he says. And I suspect it's because he knows he didn't really do all those things anyway. Because God did them through him. In most churches, if Paul presented this resume for a pastoral position, they would toss it in the trash. Because this is not a list of successes. This is a list of hardship and failure. Paul is not a Christian triumphalist. So quickly, and we're just, I'm not going to even go through the whole list. I just want to point out a couple of interesting things. First of all, in the first verse, in verse 22, he does say, I am equal to them. I'm, I'm equal to the apostles. 
What does he say? Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. So I got the like ethnic religious pedigree. I have that. But then in everything after verse 23, he's saying, I have exceeded the false apostles in far more. 23. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. I don't want to have to say that about myself. Am I a better servant than the yes? Oh, can't believe I have to say that. Far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. None of this stuff is stuff that normally people would boast about. A couple of things about it. Number one, there's more recorded here than we have recorded in the book of Acts. So we've kind of traced a little bit of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20 is probably around the time this is being uh, written. So for instance, by Acts chapter 20, we have recorded in the book of Acts that he's been in prison one time. And he says he has been in prison multiple times. A, an early church father who was writing in the 90s, really close, like Paul, uh, John may have still been alive, says that Paul was imprisoned seven different times. Okay, so all that to say, what Luke records for us in Acts is, is a small fraction of, of what really happened to Paul and his sufferings. Number two, Paul seems to have lived with the ever-present possibility of death, and this to me strikes a major blow to Christian triumphalism. Like, he was constantly thinking that he might die every day might have been his last. It also says to me that Paul was willing to put himself into places where death was a distinct possibility. Uh, this is just an interesting one from a historical perspective. Verse 24 says, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. So he spent a lot of time in Gentile prisons. Uh, the Jews did not have prisons. Uh, a prison, by the way, in that day was not like we think of it. I mean, you were pretty much left there to die. Uh, if somebody took uh, a notice of you, they could bring you food and bring you new clothing. But that was not provided for you. This is why there's such an emphasis in the New Testament on providing for prisoners, because they had nothing. But the Jews, the Jews did not mess with prisons. Right? Our common idea of a penitentiary, it comes from that idea that if you just stick somebody somewhere and let them think about it long enough that they'll reform. And that, that doesn't happen. Nobody, nobody doesn't work that way. But the Jews, they would have beatings. And so uh, it, was, it was the head of the synagogue, the master of the synagogue. So it's like the pastors. This was like ultimate church discipline. You know? And they could bring you up front and they would strip you to the waist and they had a, a, a whip that had three cords on it and they would hit you as hard as you can, two-thirds on the front and one-third on the back, but they would stop at 39 because 40 was too many and they just wanted to make sure that they didn't get anywhere close to that number. Five times from the people he loved, the Jews, Paul received 39 lashes. And then he says in verses 28 and 29, Apart from other things, there's the daily pressure of me on my anxiety and my anxiety for the churches, who is weak, and I am not weak, who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. On, all, on top of all the sufferings that he had, there was the emotional toil of caring for the churches. Do you see the contrast between Paul and those people who were enslaving the Corinthians? They don't have any anxiety for you. They're takers. They don't think about you unless... They need you for something. 
Paul says, I think about you all the time. I pray for you all the time. Every time I hear that somebody is weak, I am weak. Every time I hear it, the word is, I, every time I hear that somebody is made to fall, I am indignant. Literally, he burns. He burns when somebody it falls to a stumbling block. And, and part of the load of pastoring is that you know a lot. Y'all, I was a middle school pastor for like five years. And when you work with middle school students, you know everything that goes on in those homes. Like, you know everything. They speak it all. Y'all should know, when one of you drops off the face of the earth, it bothers me. I notice what's going on, not in a judgmental way, but as the one entrusted to the carrier souls. It troubles me to hear that somebody is wandering. And I think that the job of truly pastoring, truly pastoring, not preaching, pastoring is difficult. And it stands to get more difficult. And people fall away and they get sick and they die and they sin. And if you were on a search committee in charge of hiring a pastor and somebody said, I'm constantly anxious for the souls in my church, I constantly carry that burden with me, what would you really think? Would you think, I don't know, this guy seems a little too intense. Paul says, apart from all the other things that he lives with, he carries that burden of caring for souls. And souls are messy. And don't hear this as, woe is me, the ministry is hard. Hear it as the, the reality of the job. Hear it as the emergency room pastor who sees things that he doesn't want to see and he carries them home with. Do you want a doctor that isn't bothered by those things? Do you want a pastor who isn't bothered when he hears about the things that are going on in people's souls? So all of this is Paul's response to the boasters. Okay, I'll boast. But I'm going to boast about my weakness and I'll boast about the things that are hard and I'll boast about the things that are heavy. Why? We'll get there next week. 2 Corinthians 12.10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. Brothers and sisters, can we be content with our weaknesses? Can we admit that we are inadequate for these things? I don't know if you noticed, but it is a very odd ending to this passage feels like he ends listing all of the things. And then he comes back and he says, uh, in verse 30, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. And then he comes back and he throws in one more thing. At Damascus, the governor under Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window and a wall and escaped his hands. And when I started studying this chapter a few weeks ago, I have to confess, I had no idea what to do with this verse. It feels like he just stuck it on at the end as an afterthought. Oh yeah, there was that time I got lowered down the back by the basket. And compared to the beatings and the shipwrecks and the near death, how is this basket experience comparing to the other things that he's listed? But listen to what he says. If I must boast, I will boast in the things that show my weakness. So Paul is referring to an event that Luke tells us about in Acts chapter 9. Clearly Luke considers it to be an act of God's providence. So God uses these circumstances to rescue Paul. But here's what I think Paul is doing. And this is the way I think Paul sees it. He says, okay, fine. I will boast in my weakness. I think he sees it as a failure. I think he's like, oh yeah, and there was that one time when I ran out of Damascus. I don't think he's proud of this 
event. And he says, fine, I'll, I'll boast of the things I'm not proud of. And I don't, I don't know why Paul considers it to be a failure. He doesn't tell us. Maybe he let himself be overcome by fear. Maybe he believes that it was just a missed opportunity to testify for Christ, the King Aretas. Maybe he hadn't gotten to the point yet in his life where he would be excited to go to jail. I don't know. Whatever it is Paul is saying, you want me to boast? Fine. I'll boast in my weakness. So I'm going to be a fool for a moment. Allow me to boast in my weakness. So as many of you know, we started, and some of you were involved in this little church called Cornerstone Church in 2011. On the second Sunday, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we had seven people. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And we strived for three years. And we had some great fellowship. And it was a great time. And we worked so hard together. And then I decided, and, and led the others, to say, I just, I can't do it anymore. I'm tired. It's hard work. I have another opportunity. It was probably the most difficult decision I ever made. And people ask me all the time, what happened there? And I even get jabs. I've got some people out there who will like jab me because they think I, I made the wrong decision. And I always joke. No one's asking me to write any books about church planning. But the truth is, that decision lingers for me. Did I do the right thing? Did I quit? I'm not particularly proud of that. But I know this. Christ was there in my weakness. And it doesn't mean I'm not responsible. If there was sin in my heart that led me to quit doing that, that I am responsible for that. But it does mean that he was working then, just as he is working now. And I learned a lot through that, and I hope that it's benefiting us as we sit here this morning. Brothers and sisters, can we be honest with each other about our weaknesses rather than trying to be someone we're not? Can we stop listening to the boasters and allowing us to be enslaved by people who want to enslave us and devour us? I'm assuming that every single person in this room has examples of big, massive, embarrassing, life-defining Failures. Jesus Christ is the only human who ever lived who did everything the Father commanded him to do. He lived the only perfect life. He is the only good man who ever lived. And they crucified him. But he is very much alive and he is seated at the Father's right hand. And according to Hebrews 4.15, he has been tempted and tried as we are yet without sin. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. There is so much scripture that tells us that when we acknowledge our weakness, when we recognize our weakness, we are strong. And we'll see more of that next week. Why is it so hard for us to get it through our heads? So I want you to be encouraged this morning. You don't have to measure up to anybody's Instagram account. You can admit that it's hard. We can look to Christ and we can comfort each other with the comfort that we have received. And we'll leave it there, and we'll pick it up next week. So next week we get to talk about his trip to the third heaven and the thorn in the flesh. And that will be the conclusion of this whole section here in 2 Corinthians. We're not going to take the Lord's Supper this morning because we're all going to go over there. It seems redundant. We'll have a, small, to have a small dinner and a big dinner. We're all going to eat together. Um, let me pray, and then Tyler's going to come up and we'll sing. A couple more songs. Father.